This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Now let's open our Bible, our device, whatever. I think the first scripture, I added one this morning. If you bring up my first scripture, which was Revelation 21, verse number one through five. I want to read this to you from the Message uh, Bible. If you will bring that up for me. I don't know if we can get it on screen. There we go. It says, and I saw heaven and earth new created. Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. Next verse. And I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as ready for God as a bride for her husband. And I heard a voice thunder from the throne. I love this. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. Slap your neighbor, tell him property values just went up. Because when God moves into the neighborhood, he starts a major renovation program. He's making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued. Look, I am making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable and accurate. Now, I'm giving you that because that's the conclusion of my message today, is God's project is new creation. His project is redemption. And I'm talking today about being architects of God's new world creation. How many know, somebody asked me, and I teach a lot from Revelation, but it's hard just to jump in here and grab snippets. But really, when you see this uh, in the book of Revelation, he is declaring something that I think we need to grab a hold of, and that is he, God, God's, God's business and his project is to make all things new. That's not my opinion. We just read it. Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down because these words are true and they are faithful or they are dependable as this scripture says. If you go with me also then into Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, through four, we'll, we'll read a few scriptures here and then jump into something in Hebrews a little bit further down here. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has, everybody say has, touch your neighbor say that's past tense, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. How many know Jesus has an inheritance? How many know his inheritance is all things? How many thinks Jesus might get his inheritance? He inherited all things through whom also he made the world. Now, let me just, uh, let me just uh, teach just a little bit this morning. I, you know, I kind of know this church a little bit from the days I know it pretty well, but especially from the days when Barry and I were golfing together and we were coming here quite a bit, I know what he believed about some of these things, so I don't feel like I'm too over the edge by teaching just a little bit here, but I don't want to be too controversial this morning. But when he says God, he says, God who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath, past tense, in these last days spoken to us by the Son. How many know that audience relevance is everything. We, we go to the Word of God, and we don't ask the simple questions we were taught in school. Who, what, when, where, and why? How many know the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews? You know how I know that? It's the title of the book. Well, come on, somebody. He's writing it to Hebrews 
37 years or 36 years into the new covenant. And they are wanting to go back to an old covenant paradigm of Judaism. And the whole book of Hebrews is an incredible treatise of new covenant truth. As a matter of fact, I have a whole jump drive back there that's chapter by chapter on the book of Hebrews, just like I'm doing right now for Romans. But he is writing to these Hebrews who are wanting to go back to the old way of doing things. How I many know if you've done something religiously for 1,500 years under an old covenant, and all of a sudden there's a new covenant? And Paul, Paul did it this way, and Momo did it this way, and that's how we always used to do it. And then somebody comes along and says, we're going to operate in a new covenant. How I many know you might even have a church split? And so he tells them in the book of Hebrews what is better about the new covenant than the old. He tells them in chapter 1, we're going to see this, Jesus is better than angels because the first covenant was delivered by the hands of angels. In chapter 2, he's better than Moses. In chapter 3, he's better than Joshua. In chapter 4, there's a better priesthood. In chapter 5, he's better than Levi. In chapter 6, we need to move on from the foundation unto perfection, not laying again the foundation foundation of dead works and faith towards God, laying on of hands in the baptism. And when he's talking in that, laying on of hands in the baptisms, he's not talking about what we do in the new covenant. That's a scripture that's talking about the laying on of hands of the animal sacrifices when they would lay their hands on the head of the lambs and confess their sin of the divers washings of the mikvahs that they would go through. And he's saying we need to move beyond that into this new covenant of perfection. And in that verse, perfection is not a verb, it's a noun. It is not something you do, it's a state of being you find yourself in because of what he did. Chapter 7, he, he talks again about uh, there's a better tabernacle, there's a better uh, priesthood, Melchizedek, there is a better offering, there's better sacrifices in 8, 9, and 10, there's better faith in chapter 11. Chapter 12, we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But what, he's, what I'm saying is he's laying down this incredible treatise of what is better about the new covenant than the old. So when I come to Hebrews chapter 1, and I see God who in sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by the Son, immediately the moment you hear this, this verbiage of hath in these last days, our mind jumps out of the context into 2,000 and some years in the future, and we start saying God has in these last days. That's not the last days Hebrews 1 was talking about. See, every time you read last days, doesn't mean he's talking about the end of the world as in a cosmic collapse. As a matter of fact, many places in the scriptures where it talks about the end of the world, it's not talking about the end of the globe. If you look up the Greek word or you look at any other translation other than King James, it will not tell you it's the end of the world. It was the end of the age. And here's the point. The end of the age was not the end of this age. It was the end of the old covenant age. Come on, somebody. And even the Apostle Peter stood up and actually, I thought when I first read this years ago, when, when uh, probably Paul wrote this or had some influence in it, when he said that uh, God hath in these last days, and I started to really look at what he was saying. I thought, well, you know, Paul was beat a lot. He was led over walls and baskets. He was shipwrecked and snake bit and, and spent a lot of time in Roman jails. And I thought, well, they, maybe they just beat him so much he thought he was living in the last days, because that's what some prophecy teachers will teach you, is that these guys just thought they were living in the last days. To which I reply, what else did they believe they were wrong about? 
So I'm just saying consider the possibility that this may not be talking about a global collapse. It was talking about the change of a covenant. Come on, somebody. I'm headed somewhere with this. Because I really believe this is important. Bill and I were talking coming down the hall. I will turn 65 this year. It's hard for me to believe I've gotten there. But when you get to this age, you start thinking the sand is running out of this hourglass and I can't mess around with preaching cute little sermons. I'm either going to say something or I'm going to go home. Because right now it is so vitally important that we start to become architects of the world we want to live in in the future. Because the scripture says we understand that by the word of God, the worlds, the worlds were framed. How many know we frame our world by what we preach, what we declare, and what we build? And my question is, what kind of a world do you want to live in tomorrow? If we don't become architects of our future, somebody else is going to become the architect of it. And I think it's time for the church of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ to stand up and say, we are going to get involved in God's new creation project. And so, you know, I thought, well, if, if, if Paul was the only one who said that, perhaps he was beat a lot, let down over walls and baskets. But then Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he said, ladies and gentlemen, this is that. This ain't what's going to happen some glad morning. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days. So Pete called his day the last days. Come on, somebody. The apostle John said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist was already on the scene. John said that. That was before Osama, Obama, Chelsea's mama, or the last Trump. Thank you for that help. Hallelujah. <laughs> but what they were declaring was not the last days of a cosmic collapse. They were declaring the last days of the old covenant. And with the declaring of the last days of the old covenant, it's not just what it was the end of. It was also what it was the birthplace of because Peter stood up and made the announcement that, that David declared and prophesied. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the declaration that when Jesus got up from the dead, he was the fulfillment of the promise God had made to the, to the fathers that the royal seed of David would come on the scene and the kingdom of God would begin to invade that planet. And how many on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came how many know the kingdom of God began to fall and the thing that got most of them persecuted and, 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 and thrown into jail was not a message that says we're going to bring you to Jesus so you can go to heaven that was the announcement that there's a new king in town that Caesar is not Lord come on somebody Hallelujah. I got some news for you today. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the, come on. And when he made the declaration, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, what he was declaring is that God's new creation project is now underway because from the resurrection of the dead, Jesus became the firstborn of a brand new creation. And from that until we get to Revelation 21 is the ongoing reality of what God is doing in the earth right now. And we're either going to get involved in that and learn a hallelujah. Let me try. Calm down, Lynn. We're either going to teach people to evacuate or we're going to teach them to occupy. 
And no matter what you believe about eschatology is not the point this morning. The point is, how many know, no matter what you believe, God's intention for us is to occupy, and that is to extend the kingdom of God and to declare the king and his kingdom is now present, and Jesus is Lord, and he's taken over the planet. God has moved into the neighborhood. He made his home in men. And what you need to understand, you say, well, Brother Hans, you don't understand where I live. I live in the projects. Then start a kingdom colony there. Hallelujah. If you're there, it's because, come on, hallelujah. It's because God might have planted you there because you might be the spout where the glory comes out and a dispenser of God's new creation world. And so when he begins to declare God has in these last days, he's declaring a shift. And he's declaring that Jesus is the Jesus is the heir of all things. And he's coming to get his inheritance. I think it's incredible. Ah, there's too much to preach on a Sunday morning. I think it's incredible when you look at the patterns from the Old Testament, compare them to the book of Revelation, especially. It's amazing to me that when they uh, seized Jericho, went into Jericho, there were seven trumpets that sounded. A city fell and a new city was raised up. It's amazing to me that Joshua is the name of the leader in there. And how many of the word Joshua is the name Jesus in the new covenant? So Moses is dead, old covenant. Come on, Jesus is Lord. He's the leader to bring us into the new world. One city collapses and another one is raised up. In the book of Revelation, seven trumpets sound. One city falls and another one rises up and he calls her the bride, the lamb's wife. Wish I had all day to develop that because some of you think you're going to get married to him and don't realize you're already married. That's why you're not acting like a wife. The new covenant is your marriage certificate. Come on, touch your neighbor. Say, I'm already married. Hallelujah. Ah, come on. I said the new covenant is your wedding is your wedding certificate. That's the reason Christians are frustrated and never consummated the relationship is they're still dating. They practice safe church. I, 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 that's too much on Sunday morning. But with, if, if we are not married, it is illegal to be intimate with him. Romans 7 says that we should be married to another, even to him's raised from the dead. So if the new covenant is my marriage certificate and it's illegal to be intimate with him unless I'm married, then I must be married to him, according to Romans 7, because no wed, no bed, no covenant, no loving it. That sounds like a bumper sticker, don't it? Is this too much for a Sunday morning? Am I listening? I still think that's good preaching. That needs to be preached a little bit. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And I could chase that rabbit a little bit more, but the reality of it is, is that, that what he's dealing with is because we are a part of that relationship when he's describing Revelation 21, a lot of questions I get about it is they, when I'm teaching some of this, people say, Brother House, is Revelation 21, is it past, is it present, or is it future? And my answer to that is always yes. It is past, it is present, and it is future. How many know it is the ongoing, never changing his mind project that God is involved in? How many know that if you see in the book of Genesis, let me just give you a complete brushstroke. In the book of Genesis, it starts in a garden with a man in his image with dominion. 
And God said to him, he said, and the Lord God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and have dominion. God's never changed his mind about plan A. And so what happens is Adam has a garden and he turns it into a graveyard. But in the redemptive process, Jesus takes a graveyard and turns it into a garden. Adam has access to a tree of life and he chooses a tree of death. And Jesus chooses a tree of death and turns it into a tree of life. Adam is cursed with you will earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. And in a garden, Jesus prays in Gethsemane until he sweats. He sweats until he bleeds. He has to bleed. If he doesn't bleed, he won't put the curse in reverse. That says you've got to earn your bread. But when he bleeds and one drop of blood from the divine brow touches a cursed earth, it puts the curse in reverse. It says you've got to earn it. How many know in the new covenant is by grace? It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. It is not an accident that a thief looks over at him and says, if you be the son of God, command these, st- uh, or, or if you be the son, uh, save yourself and us. That's still the voice of the enemy trying to uh, steal the identity of the last Adam, the second son. But the other voice on the other side of the cross says, we're getting what we deserve. But remember me when you come into your kingdom. The word remember there is an Aramic word that means put me back together again. He said to Jesus on the cross, when you come into your kingdom, could you put me back together again? And Jesus looks at him and says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Do you know that the word paradise is the Greek word Eden? In other words, everything Adam lost, I'm about to put you back into it. Come on, with dominion. And I want to tell you this morning and make a declaration over living faith. And the Lord God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and have dominion. And I'm jumping way ahead of myself this morning because I want to talk about architects of God's new creation. But if you don't step up to your responsibility of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't kind of get some of these concepts straightened out and realize that God's project is not just to get you from here to there. It's to get what's happening there to operate here. That you are the spout where the glory comes out. That you are the doors and the windows in heaven. Come on, somebody. Where God can release into the earth what is happening in the heavens. I just recently released a post a few days ago on my Facebook page. I said, God, uh, the, the reason Christian behavior is important under the new covenant and under grace is not because your behavior gets you to heaven. It's because your behavior gets heaven to come to the earth. You're either releasing death and hell around you or you're releasing the kingdom of God. You're either releasing righteousness, peace, and joy. Come on, somebody. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're full of kingdom purpose, full of kingdom potential, full of what God is looking for to release in the earth. And I believe the reason the earth is in the shape it's in right now is because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has somehow missed the point of the gospel that it's not just about getting to heaven when I die. I mean, that's, that's all part of it. I'm not taking that from you. But what we do, what we've done with that is we go, I got saved. I got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. And for the next 70 or 80 years, we live in misery here on this planet, saying it's some glad morning when this life is over in the sweet by and by. 
after one more valley and one more hill, and somehow we're missing the point of the gospel that says, I want to give you life and that more abundantly. I want to give you, so listen, if God put man in a garden and with, with everything he needed divinely supplied, it would look to me like that would be his intention for us. If in Deuteronomy, when he brings him up out of Egypt, he says, I want to give you the days of heaven on earth. That doesn't look to me like God wanted me to get saved and then suffer for the next 70 or 80 years. And in one of these days, I could go there and be happy. I think what he wanted me to do is change the way I think, because that's what the word repentance means. Where I could access what's happening in the heavens and start to bring it into the earth so that not only am I affected, but the people that are around me are effective. And all of a sudden, God's new creation project begins to flow. And, you know, even as I, hallelujah, I feel like a freight train here this morning. When Jesus would teach the kingdom, he would say things like the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. And I don't know how we miss the point, but when he's talking about the kingdom of God and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he is not talking about other world stuff. He's talking about this world stuff and how he came into the earth to bring God's world into this one. Because if God's world doesn't come into this one, this one's a mess. Hallelujah. And so I, I really believe that we are architects at, as part. Let me, let, me, let me finish reading this. Uh, let me come on down through Hebrews. Bring, bring back up my Hebrews 1, and then uh, I can preach a little bit here. Well, we got through a verse or two. <laughs> through whom also he made the worlds, plural. Next verse. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today have I begotten you? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will grow old like a garment. Everybody say garment. Like a cloak, go back, they will perish. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Next verse. But to which of the angels has he ever said, set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth in the earth to minister for those who shall be the heirs of salvation? Now go ahead and get, while I'm here in the book of Hebrews, go ahead and go over to, to chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. For unto the angels, I, I, that's, that's a little ahead of, yeah, okay, yeah. For unto the angels hath he not put in, watch this, for, unto, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. Next verse. 
But one testifies in a certain place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? Next verse. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. But the next verse says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every man. Now let me, let me work on this a little bit. We started out by showing you that the last days, just consider this possibility, may not be talking about a cosmic collapse, but the end of an age, or the end of the old covenant age specifically. And then he says that the heavens and the earth will perish, but here's, here's, the, here's what caught my attention. They will perish like a garment. They will be changed. The moment I read that, now I just read you a text in Revelation 21, God is making all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. That means the old heaven and the old earth are going to be changed. Are you tracking with me? But the thing that really caught my attention, and it's hard for me to unpack a lot of this on a Sunday morning, but when I think about a new heaven and a new earth, I'm not talking, I'm not thinking in terms of global or natural. Again, I'm thinking in terms of a covenant. Because if you would ask any Jewish person, what was, where would they find their heaven and earth? They would say to you, the temple. Bethel, the temple, was the place where heaven and earth met together. It was where God and man came together. So that would be the old covenant. Isaiah talks about when God laid the foundation and made Israel a nation, he said, I laid the heavens, or I stretched out the heavens and laid the earth and said to Zion, you are my people. It was the covenant. The old heaven and the old earth had to do with the old temple, the old Israel, and the old covenant. But how many know when Jesus walks on the planet, and he, I've been watching this thing, uh, The Chosen. Anybody watching that besides me? And I think it was uh, when he finds uh, uh, the guy under the fig tree, uh, Nathaniel, I believe it is, he, he says to him, you know, from henceforth, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's not a chance statement. Because when Israel, Jacob, wrestled with the angel in the Old Testament, the Bible said that uh, Jacob said, this is none other than Bethel. This is the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And he saw angels of God ascend and descend in that place. Are you tracking with me? So when Jesus says to Nathaniel, from henceforth, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What he's saying is, you thought that was the temple. But I'm shifting gears to show you there's a different temple. I'm the temple. Come on. Hallelujah. And I'm where the new heaven and the new earth originates. And it's coming out of me as the first begotten, come on, or the seed of a brand new world. And then the thing that catches my attention, I'll come back and grab that in just a moment is that he goes on to declare, but he says to him as he goes on down through here, they will be changed like a garment. And man, the moment I read that, something went off in my spirit that Jesus taught again. He said, you don't put a piece of new cloth 
into an old garment. You got to change the garment. You don't put a new wine in an old wineskin. Now, what we usually do with that is we say, well, that means you can't sing charismatic songs in a Presbyterian church. (laughs) Now, that may not work either, but that's really not what he's talking about. What he's saying is the new covenant is not a patch on an old covenant. The new covenant is not new wine in an old wineskin. The new covenant is not Jesus plus the rules. The new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. The old covenant is about a law you have to keep. And the new covenant is receiving a life that will keep you. Under the old covenant, you motivated people by fear. In the new covenant, we live by faith. Come on, somebody. In the old covenant, we learned how to live by a law. In the new covenant, we live out of a relationship. And so there was a complete change. So when he's talking about there's a change coming and a garment shift, he's not talking about a collapse again of a cosmic fall away. He's talking about a change of a brand new covenant that can only be dealt with. See, the old covenant was given to the old man to get an old man to learn how to behave. But the new covenant was given to a new creation with new tongues, with new mercies, with a new city, a new tabernacle, a new covenant. Come on, his mercy new every morning all things becoming new I know I'm dumping a truckload here this morning hallelujah but when he declares then later in the book of Hebrews for he did not put the world to come in subjection to angels and then he quotes the book of Psalm but one in a certain place says When I consider the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the works of all you created, what is man that you're mindful of him? So sometimes I think we as Christians think the world to come is going to be changed by angels while we sit on the couch. He didn't put angels in charge in the garden. And the Lord God blessed them. That's grace. That's fair. I'm a grace preacher. I was preaching grace before it got cool. Matter of fact, Joseph Prince is the one who bought my TV cameras, paid half my TV bill the first year I was on, and still negotiates my airtime. Hallelujah. So I was preaching grace before it got in vogue. But a lot of people mess up grace. But see, you're blessed not just so you can consume it, but you're blessed in order to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. You're blessed to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, and to have dominion. It is not relinquished to angels, nor are demons in charge. God put man in charge. I read the translation, said when he quoted it, what, when I consider the moon and the stars and the works of your fingers and all that you have created, here's what one translation says, what is man that your mind is full of him? Another translation says, what is man that when you created it, you had man in the center of your thought process? Another one says, when I consider the stars and the vastness of your creation, 
What is man that you're possessed with him? See, if everything God does and everything God created has us in the center of it, then everything I do, everything I create should have him in the center of it. Because what real worship is, is not just a Sunday experience. It is beholding him in worship and then reflecting his image in the earth to become his image and to be fruitful, to multiply, replenish, and have dominion. Everything that happens to you, you're not supposed to necessarily receive it. You're supposed to discern, is this from God? Come on. Or am I supposed to rise up and take dominion over it? And I really believe right now what God wants to do is get some focus not just ready for heaven, but in training for reigning. Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, watch this, it's a kingdom word, we reign in life. We reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So grace is given to you, not so we can see whoever dies with the most stuff wins. See, I'm telling you, this will give you purpose. A lot of theology has stole our future because we've not prepared for anything. Because the reality of it is, is that when you start to realize that he blesses you in order to see, even the scripture says that he gives us the power to get wealth so that his covenant can be established in the earth. We're here for some reason. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the more I realized that, see, this is not a new idea to me. I've taught this for years. And so what happened is, is I didn't, my kids didn't lose their future. I didn't steal their dreams with a theology that didn't give them any hope. I know there's a lot of sky is falling stuff right now going on right there. But where there's chaos, see, chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. But it's also the birthplace of change. Say, so give me some Bible for it. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the great deep. Chaos ruled. But the Spirit of God. I feel the Lord in here this morning. I said, but the Spirit of God moved. It hovered. The implication is like a chicken sitting down on an egg. Hallelujah. Can you feel it? In the last three years, the presence of God is hovering, and chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but is also the birthplace of change. It is the travail. Can you hear it? Creation is groaning. Romans 8, they're waiting for the manifestation. Come on. Not of angels, but of sons of God. Not orphans and not pilgrims, but sons who realize I've got an inheritance and we are here to make a difference. And maybe God put me here to move into the neighborhood to start a kingdom colony in Manassas, Virginia that might turn my culture around, that might turn my world around. Because our help, come on, ladies and gentlemen, is not coming from the white house. It's going to come from your house. It's going to come from your dinner table. What are you building? The scripture says in Hebrews 11, we understand that by faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. Noah became the architect of a new world because watch this. He found grace. In the eyes of the Lord, when chaos was everywhere and darkness was everywhere, God said, here's the strategy. I want you to build something redemptive in the earth. Yeah. 
Man, I'm a mess this morning. I just finished a whole series called Roadmap to Reformation because I believe the word of the Lord that came to me in the middle of COVID was arise and build. It's not time to back up. It's time to arise and build in the middle of chaos. It's time for the real church to emerge. It's time for not just come on passive Christians who show up on a Sunday morning for a pat you on the head message, but real believers and overcomers and sons of the living God who are going to stand up and say, I'm building something redemptive. Because what floats my boat, what keeps me going for 40, this is my 43rd year of of being full-time traveling ministry, my 12th year of national television. But what keeps me going is not who knows my name. I could care less about who knows my name or who believes I'm on TV or what books I've written. What floats my boat is I know that I preached a message that gave my grandchildren back their future and said to them, you've got a future and I'm going to build something in the earth that can preserve the integrity, come on, of the kingdom of God because the power of darkness may seem like it wants to advance, but the light of the Lord will arise and shine upon you and the glory of the Lord will be seen in you. And it does not come from political power. Now, I do believe that's important. Let me just say this. My audience is way too big to get into politics. But the bottom line is the kingdom is not coming through political powers. Now, I do believe when the righteous reign, the people rejoice. And I do believe God calls people into those areas. And I do think we need godly leadership. But hear what I'm saying. If this is not, uh, you know, back at the reason we even came to America was to flee a country where the king was the head of the church. Because I know we think we can vote the right guy in and that'll bring the kingdom. And again, I believe we need to have the, when the righteous reign, the people rejoice. That's, so that's, that, that's a given. But the bottom line is, is if we could vote our guy in and pass the laws we want, and we can have the church run the government again, which church do you want to run it? Well... If you don't like my thoughts, have some of your own. That's all I can say. (laughs) Now, I believe that the kingdom is salt and light. I believe it's influencers. Come on, somebody. I believe we've got power to influence, and I think sometimes that God raises up people to be in political offices. But I also believe the real kingdom does not come because somebody legislates a law. Because if the law could legislate the kingdom, Moses already had the best ones. But Moses' law did not produce the kingdom. And when Jesus said the kingdom does not come from observation, he's not saying you can't see it. He's saying the kingdom is not coming from the observances of old covenant laws and rules. The kingdom has to come from your heart and from inside of you or it's not kingdom at all. What we need is not more legalism. What we need is some heart transformation. What we need is a move of the Holy Ghost. What we need is good, come on, old-fashioned Holy Ghost. uh, Come on, conviction to grab the hearts of people. Because when Jesus was asked in Acts chapter 1, right before the kingdom was birthed, on the day of Pentecost, because the kingdom came in power, but you will receive power. 
after the Holy Ghost has come on you. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost. But they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? At least they knew the kingdom was coming. We'd say, Lord, when are we going to the kingdom? He said, no, that's not the question. When will the kingdom come? He said, and they, they, he said it's not for you to know the times of the seasons. And then he would ask him again. He said, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you receive, because every time Jesus, every time I cast out a devil, every time I heal the sick, God's world just broke into this one. Heaven just invaded somebody's earth. I, I feel the preacher on me this morning. God's new world comes into this realm and it starts to invade this realm. The kingdom starts to flow because the kingdom comes in power and the kingdom is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to orchestrate and bring changes into our lives. So when Jesus asked the question the final time, they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? This is what he says. But you will receive power. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? You will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. You will be witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, the uttermost part of the earth. Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom back, but you will receive power. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it to a people. Because what is man that you are mindful of him? That when you made this, you had man in the center of it. And you won't do nothing in this planet without a man. That's why God wrapped himself in human flesh and came down as a man. Come on. As the prototype. As the seed of the firstborn of a brand new creation. Because Noah, again, watch this. Noah becomes the architect of a new world. Man, I got I to gotta hurry here. I know y'all got a big thing going on here. But I feel good this morning. <laughs> Noah builds an ark to the saving of his house. God tells Noah, I want you to build something that's redemptive. It's going to save your family. See, I think we have the opportunities to do that. I think one of the key things we're going to have to do is get back to understanding God calls a man, and then he calls a family, and then he calls the local church, and then he makes a nation, and then he makes a kingdom. And most of what is in me today is because of what my parents poured into me when I had six other siblings, and we lived on this hill in West Virginia where we didn't hardly go very many places because my dad worked six or seven days a week to feed seven kids, and we had a little farm. But in home devotions, I learned how to preach and prophesy. We played music, worship, and God started to build something in our family. And we used to sit on our back porch and dream and say, wouldn't it be nice if somebody would just come and visit us, this tribe on the mountain? And now they come there, Bill, from all over the world. Hallelujah. Because from that little hill, we have literally touched the world. Me and my siblings and my mom and dad and our family have literally, because of what God poured in a little poor family, that were insignificant. I have preached to more people in one sitting than live in my whole entire county. Hallelujah. When we have conference in September, there will be pastors there that pastor more people than live in my entire county. And so from the time of those meager things, God poured something in some little 
no-name family on a hill. That you don't think that the moment you're doing anything, you're doing anything significant because my mother and dad felt like they were called to preach, but who's going to invite somebody with seven kids? But that wasn't the end of the story. Come on, somebody. I was thinking the other day, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but my, my mother-in-law is 90 years old, and uh, she's starting to get a little bit of dementia. So she comes to our house. We feed her every day. And uh, her and I usually watch Little House on the Prairie in the evening. She likes Little House on the Prairie. And I got to watching this program with her, and I thought to myself, you know, that was back when we were, that, that, those shows were back when we were preaching against TV. I know some of you too, you, some of you too young to even remember when them, you know, them preachers that preach against, you got a hell of vision set up in your living room. <laughs> Devil's horns on your roof. You wonder why God ain't moving in the church. Cause you sitting in front of that one eyed monster. <laughs> That television set you got up in your living room, and then you got makeup on your Jezebel face. You know what I mean? You want God on one hand and the, you know, hallelujah. You got to hack a little when you do that. It makes it more terrifying. But I was thinking, you know, Andy Griffith, Little House on the Prairie. That was back when we was preaching against TV. But I, as I was watching these programs, I thought to myself, that every one of the programs, especially Little House on Prayer, had some kind of a moral story to it. It had empathy or caring for your neighbor or doing something honest. It had how to deal with people that were not of your race or your background or your creed or your color. And it, took to, it started, they would pray over stuff. And I thought, my God, that was back when I thought, you know what? I'm turning my grandkids on to this. Hallelujah. Because, see, those are practical ways where you can bring God's world into your world. Because what's happening is we're being programmed day by day by day by day by everything we feed our minds on. So I'm asking us the question, what kind of a world do we want to live in? You know, that's why I believe I think sometimes we even need to take over some areas of entertainment. Because I think, God help us, we need some good entertainment. Hallelujah. And what happens is, is that God's new creation comes as practical things that we model. You know what's even amazing in the middle of COVID was a, a, a lot of places that I went were, were bracing themselves for a whole lot of domestic violence. But actually in up northern Pennsylvania, one of the mayors goes to the, one of the churches that I go to and he said, we were bracing ourselves for domestic violence during COVID because people were locked down. He said, but after a little while, for the first time, Marriages started being healed. He said, because they were locked in, and now you don't have to go to soccer practice. You don't have to take them to music. You don't got to take them to ballet. You don't got to... So now we sit down at the table, lay the cell phones down. I, I know this is tough. And we start to have a conversation. I got to tell you, man, while I miss sometimes people, I sure enjoyed being sitting on my porch with just me and my wife under quarantine. Because we sat on our porch about every night for a couple of hours just talking. I think somehow we've lost the art of communication. And I'm not against technology. Don't, don't, don't hear this wrong. Don't hear it as being condemning. Just hear it as understanding. We can change the world from our living room. We can change the world by what we do. And while our, you, think, what you think, well, my behavior is not important. 
If you think Christian behavior is not important, ask Abraham. One trip to Hagar's tent, and thousands of years later, his children are pointing nuclear weapons at each other in the Middle East. So if you think your actions ain't important for the future, what kind of a world do you want to create? Are you hearing where I'm coming from? We are the architects of God's new world. Let me, let me move on quickly because I need to find a place here to land. When God spoke to Noah, he said, the end of all flesh has come before me. I'm going to bring about a new world. I'm going to start. I'm going to do a reboot. So I want you to build an ark. I want you to build something redemptive. And if you're going to build something redemptive, you're going to have to involve a tree. So I need you to cut down the gopher wood and build an ark. So how many know that the first thing it takes to have a vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin is a tree? Y'all looking at me funny. How many know I'm talking about the cross? And then he tells Noah, there are so many powerful points here. He says to Noah, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Do you know the word pitch it there is the Hebrew word kephar. It is the English word we translate atonement. So we get a vehicle made from a tree, and then we cover it with atonement. Within and without. Because what makes this boat float, what carries me out of an old world dominated by sin and by the curse, is the cross of Jesus Christ and the precious blood of Jesus. I got in an ark, ladies and gentlemen. Funny story, we've got a lot of new people start coming to church after COVID, and they didn't know nothing about God. They started watching some of the uh, uh, Facebook Live stuff. And they said to my pastor, Pastor, what is it? How did those people drag that boat all the way from Egypt to the promised land when they carried that ark from Egypt to the promised land? We got a long way to go here. Different ark. <laughs> but in their mind, they could see somebody dragging a boat. He tells Noah, thou sh-, he said, you're going to make three stories. I could say it like this. It's an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place. It's a 30-fold, a 60-fold, a 100-fold. On this ark called Jesus, how many, how many is in the boat? You need, if you're not in the boat, you need to get in the boat. Because stuff, stuff, stuff about to happen outside the boat. And, and when Noah started preaching, it's going to rain, nobody believed his message. Because nobody had ever seen it rain before. Everybody was gung-ho, opening day of building program, but two years into it, no rain, no flood. You're the cult down the road, and nobody believes what you believe. 120 years later, starts to rain. 40 days later, everybody that's left believes exactly like you do. I never get in fights because I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I just preach what I think God said to me and then let people decide for themselves. Hallelujah. And so it starts to rain. And then there are in this ark animals of all sorts. Clean and unclean. I want to tell you, touch your neighbor, say, what kind of an animal are you? But I won't do that. (laughs) Now, I will tell you this. When you get in the boat one way, you're going to get out another. 
You might have got in the boat unclean, but you're going to get out clean. Because you're, you didn't escape the judgment. You got inside of the thing the judgment fell on, just like you were in Christ on Calvary's tree when the judgment of God fell on Him. How many know you were inside of that ark? Hallelujah. And He became your vehicle out of an old world and into a new world where the curse has been reversed. Now I'm saying all this to get a point here. When the ark starts to, to go in the water, and there's only one door. By the way, there's a whole chapter in my book, The Great I Am. I am the door, because you thought the Old Testament was the door. That's not the door. I'm the door. Jesus said. One door and one window above. He lets two birds fly out of the ark. One of them flies all the way through the Scriptures and lands in the book of Revelation where Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only has to fly to the book of Matthew where it finds Jesus coming up out of the water of baptism. The ark was emerging from the water. I'm going to get here where somebody understands me. And the dove was looking for the new world. And when the dove landed on Jesus, what that said to John was, here's the olive branch, here's God's new world. New creation is now underway. And that was a picture, watch this. Get me, get me my text, if you would, in the book of Peter, uh, where, where he talks about, let me see if I got it here quickly. Are we still good? I know I'm all over the place here, but... I'm trying to kind of bring a lot of thoughts into one. First Peter 3, verse 18 through 22, for it says, For Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. How many know that we were in Christ when the flood came, so to speak, and the judgment fell? How many, when we were in Christ... We were in the thing the judgment fell on so that Jesus didn't just die for me. He died as me. He was, if it were, I could say it like this, the black hole in outer space that took down everything I was in Adam and I swallowed up an entire old creation. And like a garment, I was changed. And I stepped into a brand new world. My, 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 my world view is different. I don't see it getting worse. I know we've got some very real problems right now in front of us, but what's going to determine how long we're going to be in the problems we're in is going to be determined by what the church decides they're going to do in this. Whether we're going to put our head in the sand and wait on the... Come on wait on the evacuation, or we're going to engage the harvest and become an agent of change. Because he did not put the world to come in subjection to angels. He did it to sons. Now watch this. By which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing... 
wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Watch this, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. He goes on to say here that Noah was a picture. This is not my opinion. This is what Peter said. He said, Noah is a picture of water baptism, the like figure whereunto baptism does now already save us. So water baptism was a picture of the Ark of Noah. So how many know the moment you got in Christ and went down into the waters, maybe that's the Lord telling me it's time to quit, or that he hates a dry preacher. When the, when the Ark came up out of the water, or when Jesus came up out of the water, it was signifying that God's new creation project was now underway. Now, let me quickly read a few verses, and then I'm going to get out of the way. Go, uh, go quickly to Matthew, or not Matthew, Romans. Bring me up my Romans 5 verse. I need that verse, uh, uh, probably the latter part of 5, and then a little bit into 6, and then we'll close. Are we okay? I love this translation because it's so clear. It says, here it is in a nutshell. Like it. Just as one person did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. Touch your neighbor, tell him you're not in trouble anymore. Now, I have thrilled a many a crowd by telling them you ain't in trouble anymore. But that's not the end of the story. See, it's great. I am thankful that I am not in trouble anymore, that Jesus paid the penalty. Come on. And I've got my ticket. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, him being made a curse for us. But look at this. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. Another man said yes to God and put many in the right. So more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. We read a lot of stuff in the text that's not there. Here's one of them. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, not heaven. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the gate, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And Jesus said that right before he said, I am the way. And I'm not just the way to heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not just a ticket to heaven. And once again, let me just make you feel at least calm with this. I'm not taking heaven from you. I'm just trying to get you to enjoy it a whole lot quicker than you planned on. Because he didn't come just to give you a ticket to heaven. He came to give you a life. And that more abundantly. And even in some of the behavior texts like Galatians 5, he said, As I have told you before and I will tell you again, that they which do such things, here's key word, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about you going to heaven. 
He's talking about these behaviors are what brings the kingdom of heaven into your reality in your life right now. Because the life becomes the light. I know I've preached long here this morning, but stay with me just a few more minutes. My mama, you know, who passed away August of, uh, of uh, about two years ago. This, this August will be two. Growing up under like real legalism, she, I remember her telling this story. She, she, I mean, I remember her doing this. She said, I was at the grocery store today. And then she'd get that Pentecostal jerk on her. She said, I, I saw... Mm, mm. I saw, I saw saint, saint of God today. Mmm, Shundai. Mmm. Now, I'm not making fun because I get that jerk every now and then still. Somebody said, I'll never do that. God probably just took that as a personal challenge. And she said, mm. I knew she was a saint of God. Oh, hallelujah. By the glow on her face. And I'm thinking, Mom, that's not a glow. That's a shine from no makeup. <laughs> Marcus Lamb saw our TV program and invited me to be on uh, their program once. And my son, who produces our TV program, was with me. And they took us into a makeup room to put makeup on because it keeps the glare of the lights off. I don't wear makeup on my TV program because it's my program. But they make you do it because it's the glare of the lights. And so when the makeup artist was showing my son how to do it, uh, when she left in the room, my son looked at me and said, this was always my dream to grow up putting makeup on my dad. <laughs> Lord, I apologize. I shouldn't even brought that up this morning. Hallelujah. Especially in the culture we're in today. But my mama said, I knew she was a saint by the glow on her face. And I'm thinking, mom, it's just a little kid. I'm thinking, mom, that's not a glow. That's a shine from no makeup. And you didn't know her. Because of the, sh the glow. You knew her because she had a hair in a top knot, a beehive, no makeup on, dressed down about almost between her knees and, and ankles, and pantyhose on with black hair on her because it was a sin to shave your legs back then. That's too much information right there. I mean, the general rule was if you looked like Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies, you were holy. By the way, holy doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean how you dress or how you behave. Holy means other than. The angels of God are not standing before the throne of God going, He behaves. He's wearing the right outfit. <laughs> but my mom said, what a testimony this woman's life was to the world. Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody that feels like God told you to do this. Because if you feel like God is telling you to dress like, do, by all means, obey God. But my mom said, what a testimony this woman's life was to the world. That, that uh, they, they, would, they would see her and think, what a testimony her life was to the world. Except the world is thinking, you mean your God makes you look like that? <laughs> so if I, if I get involved with your God, I got to look like that until I'm 85. Oh, I wish I had all day. Religion will take your life. Now, my wife is about five foot one. She's blonde hair, green eyed, 110 pound, drop dead gorgeous. And if you ever see her, you think, how did he do that? I don't know. Sovereign grace is all I can tell you. <laughs> but I told her when we got married, when you got married, we were, you were drop dead gorgeous. Whatever it costs to keep looking like that, you don't even have to ask me. Here's the MasterCard. Don't leave home without it. 
She'll tell you that's the absolute truth, but she's been telling me lately it's costing me a lot more for her to look like that. I don't care, hallelujah, because I think that's more of a testimony because then the world looks at you and says, I want a life like that one. I want a life like that. I want one that's got, come on somebody, people that are put together, people that have got a good marriage, people that are happy, people that got peace, that got joy, not looking like they were baptized in dill pickle juice. The life, the life becomes the light. I told Bill, you know, Bill and I talking, coming down the hall. I said, you know, again, turning 65, I tell you what, I don't know. All of a sudden, I shook my head and said, how'd I get here? <laughs> it's like the sand is running out of this hourglass. And I'm not saying that because, like, you know, I think I'm going to die next week. I'm just thinking because I'm enjoying this journey so much, I don't want it to be over yet. I'm having fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the T-bird away. I'm enjoying my journey because the real gospel will give you back your life and the life becomes the light. And I want to just say, I'm going to try to find a place here to close. But even as he, as in Romans the sixth chapter, let me jump down there real quick. He said, so what do we do? Keep on sinning. So God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the old country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or don't you know, realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life, and a new land. I wish you'd slap your neighbor and say, I just entered grace land and Adam has left the building. A new life and a new land. I am a project of God's new creation. And he goes on to talk about what the behaviors are in Romans 6. He goes on to say, could it be any clearer? Oh, he goes, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it is like a, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we were raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. Could it be clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's ever beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. What Jesus did is he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing you speak God's, means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin, alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands for it. That are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly in full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead. In God's way of doing things, sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So, since we are since we are not out, since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. 
Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. I heard somebody say recently, I've become in bondage to my liberty. That's because you ain't free yet. All you did was trade slave masters. You traded the slave of religion for the slave of substance abuse or some other thing. You still ain't free yet. I'm talking about a new life and a new land. I'm talking about getting in an ark. I'm talking about coming up in a brand new resurrection life. I'm talking about a life that is full of peace and joy. Hallelujah. He said, offer yourself to God. And freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose command set you free to live openly in freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. How much different is it now that you've Live in God's freedom. Your lives healed, expansive, and holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you recall, do you really call that a free life? What did, it, what did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the light of listening to God tell you, what a surprise. A whole healed put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus Christ, your master. Stand on your feet, all of this room. Come on, stand on your feet. Architects of God's new world. I think sometimes we think about some of this stuff so wrongly. You know, people, you know, I, I, it's, anymore, I just, I, I'm just not a fighter. But, you know, people want to argue for certain kinds of lifestyles and what's right, what's wrong. Really, I, you know, Bill told you he's just been listening to our Romans stuff, but Romans 1, 2, and 3 is the diagnosis of the human condition. And what he does is he indicts everything and everybody, and he concludes all are under sin. So he can have mercy on all. The whole point of Romans 1, 2, and 3 is not just to point out one particular sin of the group we don't like. It's to point out we're all in the same sinking boat. We need a Savior. Because we were incapable of living this glorious life God had called us for. So God did it for us. And then gives us his very own life. So the point of Romans, see, the book of Romans was not meant to be read in one chapter and then waited a month. It's a letter. So it's like you don't read the first paragraph and then not finish the letter because you miss the point of what's being said in the beginning of it. And then he starts into the deliverance. By faith, Abraham laid hold of God and God counted it to him for righteousness. And God started to do for Abraham what he could not do for himself. But what he goes on to tell you in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is, okay, here's what happens. The goodness of God will bring you to repentance. But if you harden your heart and you say, well, I just want to defend this lifestyle or this particular action. I don't want, you know, don't tell me. Then, then God just steps back and says, okay, I'm going to turn you over to those things. And what happens is you receive in yourself the recompense of your error. In other words, you reap what you sow. God didn't do it to you. 
The devil didn't do it to you. Stupid is what stupid does. I'll try it over here. And once you learn a few times that when I do this action, this is the result. Somewhere it has an automatic reproof in it that brings you to repentance and says, I think I need to get some help. Come on. My brother deals with uh, uh, narcotics uh, addiction in our town. And most of the people that are come through his program are people who've been broken in some way or the other, who've turned somewhere, but they have to reach sometimes their bottom before they can get turned around. But see, the moment you hit your bottom, again, chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but it's the birthplace of change. And I don't know, I, I, you know, I feel like as I bring this to a close this morning, there may be people in here. And again, this, these words are not condemning. I, I don't mean this is not passing a sentence on you. It's just that when I came to God, there was some stuff wasn't working for me anymore. I knew I was at the end of my rope. That I was looking for a new life and a new land. And when I found that ark, I got on it. And then I were, emerged out of the waters of baptism. A new life and a new land. You know what's amazing? When the Ark of Noah landed, it landed on a mountain called Ararat. And the word Ararat means the curse has been reversed. And he steps off of the boat in a new world. And God says, now, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, have dominion. Same mandate, different day. Maybe you feel like that this morning. You, 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 you just stepped off of the ark in a new world. See, this, this new world that we, we, are the, we are the architects of the world that our children are going to live in. What we instill in them and what we declare and what we build redemptively will determine their future. As, as I look back at my mom and dad who are both going on to be with the Lord the most valuable thing that I can say they gave me and the more I see it the more I, the older I get the more I value it, is the integrity and the honesty that they walked in even when some of the stuff they believed was wrong they still walked in and lived what they believed and modeled that in front of us and then we're willing to change as revelation began to come because I think we are in a good place because now the gospel doesn't take your life. It gives it back to you. For the life of me, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be in the kingdom of God. Because really, the only thing it takes from you is the stuff that's destroying you. So if all over this room, as we just kind of get something played softly or sing something, I don't... If you're here this morning and you say, but you know what, man, I just... My world is a wreck. I want out of the world I'm in and I'm looking for a new world. Let me tell you, there's an ark here this morning. And the door is open and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm going to open this altar if you want to respond or if you want to stay where you're at. It, that's, you don't necessarily have to come forward. There'll be some prayer team here that will help and meet with you. Hallelujah. 
And, and, and if you're here and you're a believer and you just think, Lord, you know what? I, 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 maybe, I feel like maybe I've dropped the ball as it relates to being an architect of a new world. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start building again some stuff. I'm going to build some stuff. I mean, no, the Holy Spirit's a builder. He comes to build us up. Hallelujah. First of all, we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And then we start to be, build other people up. You know, you can change the world by what you talk about at your dinner table. You know, we can wait on legislation to deal with racial issues or, uh, or, or, or uh, you know, gender issues. Or, but we can also let God do something in our lives with what we're going to do with it. You know, in other words, it's, it's easy for me to hate people generically when I don't know anybody. But when you know somebody... So you find out, wait a minute, we don't all hate each other. And you know what? There's some agendas to try to get us to hate each other. Because if we can get us to hate each other, you can raise a lot of money. But I've decided I'm going to live in a better world. Because I think hate is too hard of a burden to carry. Hallelujah. And I'm going to teach that to my children. I'm going to talk about the right stuff at my dinner table. I'm going to, are you hearing? I'm going to model what it means to be new creation. Because I believe that's God's project. I'm going to give you a moment if you feel like you need to step out of your chair. The altar is open this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 If not, let me pray because it's, it's after 12. Let me thank you for being gracious enough to let me have all the time I wanted this morning. I appreciate it. So, Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to say, I believe, some world-changing things. Hallelujah. As I look over this room, I see architects that are building something redemptive for the future of our families. You're the orchestrator of this new world. For you did not put the world to come in subjection to angels, but you put it in subjection to man. And ultimately, the Son is the chief architect who declared, write these words down because they are true and they are faithful. Behold, I am making all things new. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He made his home in men. Hallelujah. So Holy Spirit, build in us what you want to build in us. So that as we behold you, we reflect your image in the earth and manifest your new creation. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. God bless you.